the second chapter of Daniel. Um, as you can see, we're going to think about the subject of wisdom. Um, what, I wonder what you think of when you hear that word wisdom. Um, for me, I think it's this. Um, wise old men in films with long grey beards and long grey hair. So we've got Gandalf there from The Lord of the Rings and, uh, and Dumbledore from Harry Potter. Um, so that's what, I, that's what immediately springs to mind when I think of wisdom. Um, so, yeah, it's like, like people who have had lots of experience of life. They seem to know everything. They can give sound advice and always make the right judgments. And there might be someone that you know like that as well. Um, you know that if you've got any kind of question or dilemma, you can go to them and you'll get a good answer and good advice. I think that we'd all hope that we have some wisdom too, or at least a growing in wisdom over time as we experience life um, and take information. But how does that growth happen? Where do we get our wisdom from? Are we looking in the right places for it, or are we being um, conned into thinking that um, foolishness that we're taking in is actually wisdom? Well, I think this chapter would have been really relevant to the Israelites who were reading it at the time. But equally, it's massively relevant for us today as well. Um, and I believe it can answer some of those questions that I've just asked. So let's have a think about the context of the chapter as a whole. If you've ever read through the book of Daniel, um, you'll know that it's a book that's future-oriented. Um, so it's full of dreams and visions and prophecy. And this is the start of it. So we get a dream um, from Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, we didn't read it today, um, but it's, it's a dream about a giant statue um, made of different bits, which Daniel interprets as a vision of the future. So what does a king's dream from the 7th century BC have to say to us about God? Well, I don't think the dream itself is a really important thing here, and that's why I've, I've left that for today, and we're just concentrating on the first half. Um, but it's more about the characters and the contrasts that we see. I think it shows us two big things about God. Um, firstly, his wisdom, and secondly, his power. Um, so we're thinking about wisdom today, and we'll think about uh, power next time. So, um, what, so what is wisdom? Well, I think it's one of those words that we kind of intuitively, we, we know what it means, um, but we can't quite put it into words. I think it includes knowledge, um, understanding, sound judgment, that sort of thing. It's about learning and insight. It's the opposite of foolishness and stupidity. And it's something that we'd all agree really is an admirable quality. So I'm going to go through the story um, that, that Emma read to us earlier and have a think about what kind of wisdom is on show and then bring out two main points. That wisdom is found in God and that wisdom is found in God's people. So Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. But not any old dream. It's obvious that he's having the same one over and over and it's giving him sleepless nights. Verse 1 says he's really troubled by it. What, what does a king, what does a, a mighty ruler have to be troubled about? It's got great power, great wealth, a great army. But one thing he doesn't have 
is knowledge of the future. It's secure in the present, but he doesn't know what the future holds. So I don't think it would be too big a leap to say that um, this dream doesn't come out of the blue for him. But actually he's been, he's been pondering his own future. And this is God's response to him and his answer to him. But the dream doesn't really help him, does it? He doesn't really understand what it means. It doesn't know if it's good or bad. Um, or, or what the different bits of the dream means. It's just confused him and not enlightened him, as you would expect. So he calls in his magicians and his astrologers and those sorts of people. And they're from all across the kingdom. It says they speak in Aramaic, um, which would have been the language that was used when lots of people from all over Babylonia came together. Can you imagine the scene? I mean, I don't know how many there were. We're not told, but you can just picture like hundreds of these wise old men sitting around a big table. Right then, Nebuchadnezzar, let's get down to business. Tell us what your dream was, and we'll interpret it for you. We'll tell you what it means. But he's not falling for that trick. He thinks they're just going to listen to what he says the dream is, and then make up some plausible sounding explanation, um, just out of their heads. Um, that's not that they know is not true, but just keeps the king happy. So he has an idea, verse six. If they can tell him what the dream is, then he knows that their interpreta- interpretation of it will be true and valid. So he tests them, but they fail the test. They can't tell him what the dream is. They readily admit they've got absolutely no idea what it is, despite Nebuchadnezzar's kind of carrot and stick attempt at getting it out of them. Um, but we'll look more at that next time. So verse 10, the astrologers answered the king, there's not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. Well, I think they're half right, aren't they? There's not a man on earth who knows what the king's dream is. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, being king, thinks this is unacceptable and sentences all of his supposed wise men to death for not being so wise after all. They really haven't got a clue. Well, here's the contrast. God, the God of heaven, not this pantheon of make-believe gods that the wise men believe in, does know the future. He knows what Nebuchadnezzar's dream is and he knows what it means. But God doesn't just have knowledge. We're told that he's the source of all knowledge and wisdom. He's the one who's given Nebuchadnezzar the dream in the first place. The sentencing of the wise man to death, the wise men to death, isn't the end of the story. Daniel hears about it. He knows him and his friends are up for the chop as well. They're going to be killed if someone can't tell the king the dream. So he gets all his friends to pray to God about it. And God does reveal this mystery to Daniel and what we get next is a beautiful um, mini psalm from Daniel so I'm just going to read again um, verses 20 to 23 I've still got the page open if not it's 884 so from verse 20 praise be to the name of God forever and ever wisdom and power are his he changes times and seasons he sets up kings and deposes them. 
He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the, to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells within him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Okay, so let's break that down a bit. Um, somebody's talk about wisdom and some about power. As I said before, we'll think about the wisdom bits today. Um, and this is, that's where I want us to find our two main points in this, in this little psalm. So the first thing is, wisdom is found in God. Daniel says that wisdom and power are his. God owns wisdom. He's the very epitome of wisdom. If you want to know what wisdom is, go to God, look at him. He is wisdom. Then we see that he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. Now I don't think this means that he makes the wise wiser, but it means that everyone who is wise, everyone who has any wisdom, has got it all from God. Think about that wise person um, that you know. Um, if there is one all, their, all of their wisdom comes from God because he is the source of all wisdom if you want wisdom you've got to go to God for it because he is the source so let's think back to that earlier question where do you get your wisdom from? I don't know what your answer to that might be but I can probably have a good guess about some things that it might include so some common ones are probably friends, family, teachers, science, maybe the media, newspapers, TV, the internet. We might already admit some of our wisdom comes from there, um, but most of us are drinking it in constantly and it's affecting our lives and our thoughts and our opinions. So they definitely qualify as things that we take wisdom from. Well, what does the passage say about that? Are those the best places to go for wisdom? No, they're not. The media, science, and even other people, even though there's a lot of good in them, and there is wisdom in those things, are not the ultimate places to go to for wisdom. I've got here a picture of Evian. When you buy bottled mineral water like this, they're often at pains to tell you in their adverts that it's straight from the source. They're not bottling it downstream or at a tap. Although, um, if you believe some things you read on the internet, they are. Um, but, it's, yeah, it's not from some muddy little river or, or a tap where it's been chemically filtered. You want your water from the source because if it's not, it'll have been changed and it won't taste as good. God is the source of all true wisdom. We really should be getting our wisdom from him. Imagine you're an Israelite reading this. You've been in exile um, in Babylon for a number of years. You're surrounded on a daily basis by the culture and the prevailing um, wisdom and opinions and um, attitudes of the Babylonians. And it'd be the easiest thing in the world to sack off God's revelation that is revealed through Moses and David and other prophets and to just accept what the Babylonians think and teach 
But this would be a strong reminder for them to stick with God's wisdom. It's so much better than that of the Babylonians because he's the source of wisdom. Any wisdom the Babylonians come out with is second best, and second hand at best, and it's downright lies and deceit at worst. The Israelites have got God's word straight from the horse's mouth. Why would they listen to alternative wisdom, which is a pale limitation? I think that's still a reminder for us now. So let me give you a few examples. First of all, we're constantly bombarded by advertising, claiming that the latest fashion or food or gadget is going to make us complete and is going to satisfy our needs. That's not what God's Word says. God's Word says that God should be our satisfaction. We should find our satisfaction in Him. And He'll meet all of our ultimate needs. So, which should we listen to? This chapter of Daniel is clear that it's a no-brainer. We should listen to the source of all wisdom, God himself, and find our satisfaction in him. Second of all, we have some super clever scientists who want to disprove the existence of God, and in particular dismantle um, the, the historical Jesus and the authority of the Bible. But the Bible claims to be the word of God, not made up fairy tales. It claims that Jesus really did exist. He really did feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. And he really was crucified for our sins and rose from the dead. Whose wisdom are we going to take as our ultimate authority? God's or the world's? Again, our passage today shows that we're foolish to listen to the world's wisdom over God's. Now, I'm not saying the media and science and that sort of thing are from the devil. Uh, I love science. I enjoy TV and the internet. They're great gifts from God. But what I'm saying is that our main source of wisdom should be the source of wisdom, God himself. Speaking through the prophets and the apostles and Jesus in the Bible... I just want to take a quick detour here and answer a question or objection that some people might have um, and that's that this is just a circular argument. What I mean by that is that we take the Bible to be God's word because it says it's God's word. We know it's telling the truth because it's God's word and God doesn't lie. And how do we know it's God's word? Because it says it is. So can you see the kind of the, the reasoning behind that, that it's just a circular argument we're going round and round saying the Bible's God's word because he says it is. But people forget that this reasoning has to be true for anything that you take as your ultimate authority. If you um, use something else, say if, if, if I decide whether the Bible's true or not, based on my own reasoning and logic, I'm giving that a higher authority than the Bible itself. And how am I giving that higher authority? Well, uh, I'm saying my reasoning and logic are better than the Bible because it seems reasonable or it seems logical. It's, it's the same argument. It's, it's just to say another circular argument. If you have something as your highest authority, it, it, you've got to take it at its word that it is its highest authority. Okay, so let's 
look at one more example of um, where our wisdom should come from God so there's a prevailing attitude in our country today and in the western world in general that says do what makes you feel good as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else live your life to make yourself happy don't do what anyone tells you to do just make your own choices and maximise your happiness that's the world's wisdom However, the Bible's wisdom is really different. It says, do what God tells you to do. Be obedient to him. Love others more than you love yourself, even your enemies. Do everything you do for his glory and not for your own pleasure. Enjoy God's gift to us and be joyful in them. But make your ultimate goal pleasing him. So which are we going to follow? The world's wisdom are God's, which prevails here, whose wisdom prevails right throughout the entire Bible. True wisdom is found in God. Nebuchadnezzar looked to his magicians and his astrologers for wisdom, but he didn't find it. Daniel looked to God for his wisdom, and there he did find it. So should we look to God for our wisdom? Let's have a quick drink. Okay, so secondly, God's uh, wisdom, sorry, wisdom is found in God's people. God is generous with his wisdom. He doesn't keep it to himself, but he shares it with us. Daniel says, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. There's nothing in all of time and space that is outside of God's knowledge. He's omniscient, to give it its theological word. But he chooses to reveal some of those things to us. You've given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what was asked of you. You've made known to us the dream of the king. God is generous with his wisdom. Now I've been doing a series on the fruit of the spirit. And wisdom's not in there, but it wouldn't be surprising if it was really. Because those who trust in God and make obedience to him their goal will be grown in wisdom. Because God shares his wisdom with his people. Now we already know that Daniel's a godly guy. He trusts God and wants to obey him. Last time we saw how he made a stand by not eating um, the same food as the Babylonians. I love verse 14 when Daniel comes onto the scene. It's all a bit desperate. All a bit of a desperate situation really. Um, The king's ordered the execution of all the wise men um, in his anger. And it's just a bit grim. But then Daniel arrives. Calm as you like. And we're told he speaks with wisdom and tact when the commander of the king's guard um, comes to take him away to be executed. Hold on a minute, calm down, what's the problem? You can imagine him saying, the king's had a dream. Okay, let me just go and ask God about it. His attitude is so different to that of the king and the wise men. He keeps his cool and handles the situation with wisdom. And how is he able to act like that? Because he trusts in God and listens to God's wisdom. 
So how do we receive that wisdom? Well, what does Daniel do? He asks for wisdom concerning the dream. And I reckon we can assume that he asks God regularly for wisdom. Um, James chapter 1 verse 5 in the New Testament says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all, without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So we receive God's wisdom just by asking for it. Daniel's a good example about how to go about that as well. He asks for wisdom, but notice his attitude, verse 18. He urges his friends to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. He knows that God is able to help him out and reveal the dream. But equally, he knows that he doesn't deserve it. He doesn't deserve to have this mystery revealed to him. None of us deserve to know God or to have any wisdom revealed to us by him. But because of his kindness, because of his incredible grace and mercy shown to us in Jesus' death on a cross for our sins, he's revealed himself to us. He's revealed himself first through the historians and poets and prophets of the Old Testament and then through the person of Jesus written down and preserved for us in the New Testament. How incredible is that, that God chooses to share his wisdom with us. If you're one of God's people, then you can receive wisdom straight from the source of wisdom. Well, we've kind of already touched on this a little bit, but let's... Um, just wrap up with a main application to take away and it's this we should take God's wisdom revealed in the Bible as the highest authority and be careful not to be seduced by the supposed wisdom of the world do we want to know what the future holds as Nebuchadnezzar did well look at God's word it's right here do you want to know why we're here, what our purpose in life is? Look at God's word. Do we want to know right from wrong? Look at God's word. Do we want to know how to find satisfaction in life? Look at God's word. Do we want to know the best way to live our lives? Just look in God's word. And do we want to know how we can receive forgiveness of sins? It's all here in God's word. All right here in the Bible. The answers to all of life's big questions are found in this book. It's wisdom from the source of all wisdom. So let's treat it as it deserves, but in its rightful place as our highest authority. Read it daily, study it, learn from it. Let it have an impact on your heart and your life. And treasure it over anything that the world has to offer. Now, that's a difficult thing. And we're going to mess it up, as with anything. But we have a God who wants to forgive us when we don't get it right. And we have a fantastic example set for us. Daniel's a great example, but Jesus is the ultimate example. He's always quoting from the Old Testament always talking to God in prayer 
valuing God's wisdom above even that of his own family and friends. There's a couple of stories in the Gospels. One, um, when his mum and siblings um, come to tell him to stop claiming to be God and doing all these miracles. He refuses. And when one of his disciples, Peter, tries to tempt him away from his mission, he refuses that as well. Because he knows God's wisdom. And he knows he has to keep teaching truth and keep healing people. Going onwards towards the cross. Because if he'd followed the wisdom of the world, then he would never have died for our sins. And when he's tempted in the desert by Satan, he quotes Old Testament passages to the devil. And he's clearly living by the wisdom of God's word. So who or what will be your source of wisdom? True wisdom is ultimately found in God and in his word. Take him as your source of wisdom and not the world. And you'll be on your way to having wisdom yourself as God shares it generously with you. Let's pray to close. Father, we thank you once again um, for your kindness and your generosity and that you would share your wisdom with us in the Bible, Lord. Father, we pray that we would um, treat it as it deserves to be treated, Lord. Um, That we would go to it, go to the source of wisdom for our wisdom and that we would live our lives by it, Lord. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.